Welcome to the Anxiety at Work podcast. I'm Chester Elton, and this is my dear friend and co-author, Adrian Gosling. Well, welcome, everybody. We hope that the time you're going to spend with us today will help remove the stigma of anxiety and mental health in the workplace and your personal life. We invite experts from the world of work and life to give us ideas and, most importantly, tools to deal with anxiety in our world. And I want to thank our, our sponsor, Life Guides. Now, Life Guides is a peer-to-peer community that helps people navigate through their day-to-day stressors by providing a place of empathy, listening, wisdom, and support with a guide who's walked in your shoes, experiencing the same challenges of life and their experiences as you have. Now, the holiday season is upon us, and you can elicit a range of emotions for people, so it's time to connect with those we care about. So in the context of our business, it's time to reflect and plan for what is to come for the coming year. With this in mind, our sponsors, Life Guides, and we love these guys, they're offering a holiday special for leaders to ensure their executive teams have the resources they need in and outside the workplace. So this is an amazing offer for uh, support for your senior executives of up to 50 people. It's only $3,000 for three months or more. So all you got to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo and add the code HOLIDAYGUIDES50. That was a mouthful, but it's a great offer, isn't it, Adrian? (laughs) (laughs) It really is. It's a great way to to really support your people through a really tough time sometimes for people. Now, we also want to send out a big thanks to our sponsor, Go Happy Hub. Go Happy Hub is the most inclusive and timely way to communicate and engage directly with your frontline employees and candidates with 95% open open rates. Uh, With Go Happy Hub, you can send text messages directly from corporate. And who doesn't open a text message? And especially from corporate. And enable your permissions for your frontline leaders to communicate with their teams, sending notes of gratitude, logistical updates, etc. Easily, you can get the right message to the right people and segment by location, job type, etc. And if you tell them that Adrian sent you, you get 60 days free. Now, you can't beat that. That's Go Happy Hub. Yeah, make sure you say Adrian, because if you say Chester, they're going to go, who? There's no there's, there's no, no way. way. Hey, listen, we've got a great guest for you here today. She's our new friend, Rachel Druckenmiller. Let me tell you a little bit about her. Rachel is on a mission to humanize the workplace by igniting resilience, connection, engagement, and compassion in organizations, leaders, and teams. Recognized as the number one health promotion professional in the U.S. in 2015, a 40 under 40 game changer in 2019, and one of the daily records leading women of 2020, Rachel has facilitated more than 250 virtual learning experiences since March 2020 as a keynote speaker, a workshop facilitator, a leadership trainer at organizations including Citizens Bank, Sherwin-Williams, the Federal Aviation Administration, and the American Heart Association. She also has a fabulous voice, which we will be hearing in just a minute. So welcome to the show, Rachel. We're delighted to have you on our humble podcast. Thank you so much. I think we're going to have a really great conversation today that is going to give a lot of people value, validation, and um, hopefully just a boost of inspiration and hope. Well, I'm already feeling better already. So, <laughs> hey, and, and you write a lot, and you you have a wonderful blog on your on your website. We'll learn more about it in just a minute. Yeah. And you write about burnout, which hey, we're all seeing. Um, and you were pretty vulnerable that you said, look, a lifetime of striving caught up with you by your early 30s. Mm-hmm. So, can you walk us a little bit through your journey and how you began to focus on wellness and resilience? 
Yeah. So, you know, growing up, I was always one of those kids who was very hard on myself, you know, straight A student, um, you know, always had to get good grades. I think a lot of us put this pressure on ourselves for whatever reason at a young age. And for me, part of it was I had my parents were going through a difficult time in their marriage. And so I internalized that. And I decided, well, I'll just be good all the time. You know, I'll be good. I'll get everyone's approval. I'll do what people expect of me. And I carried that with me into my adulthood. And I started winning awards. I mean, some of the ones that were just mentioned. And I felt like, wow, I'm finally feeling validated in all these things I'm doing. And then what started to happen very quickly was those, uh, the recognition that I got caused me to put more pressure on myself to say, well, look, they said you're the best. You have to keep being the best and you have to have all the right answers and you have to have all the best ideas and you have to always have it together because they just said like, Rachel, you're the number one health promotion professional. You have got, you've got to model that. And so I heaped on this pressure onto myself and I started to notice, and I'm a journaler and I started to notice journal entries in the spring of 2015 uh, and, and 2016, of, I can't sustain this. Capital letters. I was telling myself, I can't keep doing this. I'm going at a breakneck pace um, for the work I was doing. I worked for a benefits consulting firm and I was consulting and speaking and doing cooking demonstrations and writing my own blog. And, and I was just putting so much pressure on myself that I never asked for help because I didn't want anyone to think that I wasn't living up to this title that I'd gotten. And so finally, in the fall of 2016, I had a dream that I was drowning. And, you know, for anyone listening, if you ever have a dream you're drowning, that is a not so subtle sign that you should probably talk to somebody and get some help. And, you know, I jotted about it in a journal and then kept at my breakneck pace and ended up having, you know, trouble with my memory. I was 32 years old. I had trouble remembering things. Um, I couldn't find words that, you know, in conversation with people, like I would just lose a word. And I, I thought this is really concerning. And so I got really sick a little while after that and ended up going to see that same, same doctor six months later and was diagnosed with Epstein-Barr virus, which is an acute form of mono. And that was, that was when I just totally, I bottomed out and, um, in every way, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, relationally, I felt alone. I felt disconnected. And, and that season in my life was like the greatest gift because it woke me up to all these things in my life that I was missing because I was so focused on achievement as my primary form of acceptance, approval, and fulfillment. And it just wasn't doing it. That's, that's, that's a rough journey right there. And yet I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like you say, you get the award, you got to be the best. You got to be the smartest. You got to be the most upbeat, you know, and you can't mm -hmm. uh, let anybody down. I, I, it's so interesting that you talked about body, bottoming out being the greatest gift. Because it finally recentered you on everything. And, you know, in your recent blogs, you talk about taking back control of your mind. That's kind of what you did through your journaling and so on. So what do you mean by that? How do you how do you how do you do it without hopefully having to go through the the, the horror of uh, drowning in your dreams? You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, part of it was one of the things I've learned to do. I was reading the book The Upside of Stress by Dr. Kelly McGonigal out of Stanford uh, a couple years ago. And one of the things that she said was that stress is what arises when something we care about is at stake. Say that again. Say that again. Stress is what arises when something we care about is at stake. That's good. Yeah, I thought it was really yeah. good. I'm going to write that down. Go ahead. <laughs> it's, a, it's a good one. Kelly McGonigal out of Stanford. So I heard that and I was like, gosh, you know, because so often we try to get rid of stress, right? We're like, how do I get rid of stress? How do I, how do I have no stress? And the reality is... There's certain elements of stress, like 
the tend and befriend response to stress, which causes us to come together, or the challenge response to stress, which causes us to activate, um, you know, insight and energy inside of ourselves to rise to the challenge. It's not that all stress is bad. And so I had to look to myself and say, well, Rachel, you care so much about what you do and you care about the people you serve and you care about the messages that you're delivering and you care about the impact that you're having and you want it um, to be relatable and you want to be real with people. And, and I started to realize, you know, in that time that this isn't something I need to get rid of. This is something I need to learn how to, how to channel appropriately. And when I've, and when I'm burning out, you know, from running on all cylinders all the time, I need to have strategies for how to restore myself and how to get it kind of recharge that energy. So, so one of the things you've talked about, and this, this fits into, I think, why we're, where we're going with all this is right now most of us are on Zoom a lot of the day. Uh, we're starting to come back a little into person, but we're still, we're still getting this Zoom fatigue that you write about. Uh, how, you offer some pretty good advice. Can you walk us through if we're feeling burned out by, by you know, sort of this ever-on a footed away from each other, uh, technological world we're in right now. Yeah. Happy to do that. And also happy to share a couple more thoughts too, if you want to go back and just share a couple more things yeah. about how to take control of the mind. Let's do it. Um, so some of the pieces on zoom fatigue, one first question we should always be asking, could this be a phone call? Could this be a phone call? Like, I don't know about you. Have you thought that way? <laughs> that, you know what? That is such a great question. I just the other day, like I said, how do you want to do this? I said, well, zoom or call. He goes, let's go old school. <laughs> Let's just, you know, and you know what it was you know i could do it while i was walking around and uh, I, I love that first question uh, i by the way i wrote that down too so keep going good. yeah good could this be a phone call right because we we just oh because we have access to it like just because we can doesn't mean we should just because we have access to it doesn't mean we should use the tool like we should use the tool strategically um so an, another thing that i encourage folks to do is to to physically back off because to be up in the screen so much is, you know, again, that is not really, that's not really how we are meant to, to, to be ergonomically. Um, and so I'm at a standing desk, for instance, which was like a drafting table I got from Ikea that was maybe like 120 bucks. Like this was not one of those fancy standing desks. Um, I have an external keyboard that I can move around. And so I have my computer mounted, you know, so I can have a distance, I can move, I can stretch if I need to. So being able to physically distance yourself um, from, from your screen, there's a, there's a feature in Zoom called hide self view. So if you're in Zoom and you go to the three little dots next to the mute button next to your name, you can drag down to hide self view. You just have to make sure you don't have any, you know, thing anybody Ch wants. Chester actually hides everybody else. <laughs> he just looks at himself. So is that a problem? Do you think? If it's just me on the screen all the time? <laughs> it's kind of like a mirror. All the time, yeah. it, you know, make no judgments. I'm not here to judge. Um, I'm just here to love. <laughs> Adrian didn't um, write that but, down. He, she's just here to love. <laughs> see, I wasn't judging. I was just making an observation. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, well, here's what it does. So we have this thing when we're on a screen all the time, uh, we're on Zoom, we have or teams or whatever you're on. We have what's called continuous partial attention. So we're continuously partially paying attention <laughs> to all of these multiple stimuli. And when we're doing that, we're not ever fully dialing into one thing. So one of the reasons it's so exhausting to be on so many virtual meetings and calls is because we're not lasered in on what we're doing and we're multitasking, which we know you can't actually do. You're just constantly sw track switching in your head. So I think if people are gonna use these platforms, they should be strategic in using them. So for instance, I was doing a training with a, a marketing team out of a, a large health system. 
and on the West Coast. And I've done a series of three sessions with them just to get, help them get to know each other better because a lot of these people have come on board since the pandemic started and they've not been together in person. And so we came away from one of these sessions and one of the team members in this group of, it was about 14 people, they came back from a small group conversation with each other and they found out that one of their colleagues, and this was, you know, I had to make sure they asked permission if they can share it with the larger group to honor, you know, the safety, psychological safety of the time. But somebody shared that they've been, they said, I didn't even know that one of my coworkers who's in this group has been dealing with leukemia for the past year. Like, that's, we should be using these tools as a way to foster genuine and meaningful connection. People don't need more content right now. People need connection right now. And so much of what I am doing and brought in to do, I get asked, hey, come in and do a motivational talk and do it for 20 minutes. I can do that. I can do that really, really well. And I love doing that. And sometimes that's the thing I'm meant to do. And other times I often will challenge the client that's wanting to bring me in and say, what is your goal here? And they're like, well, our people are really feeling disconnected. And well, why don't, why don't we do something that's not just one-way passive sage on the stage? Why don't we do something that actually gives your people opportunities to connect with one another, feel validated in their shared experiences, and um, build relationships? Like maybe that could be more meaningful than me just passively delivering content. And People have been open to that. And when they actually are willing to take the risk and do that, they realize how much value it has to bring people together in meaningful conversation. So I just think we need to be more strategic about how we use these platforms. Yeah, and, and make those connections, like you say, that are meaningful and find out about people. Know their stories. Adrian and I are big fans of, do you know Do you know the person's story, right? Well, speaking of, of content and speaking and so on, where can people find more about you and how to get in touch with you and how to get you engaged with their organizations? Um, two best places are LinkedIn. I'm super active on LinkedIn. Uh -huh. I don't know, not as much as, Ch I mean, Chester is like the LinkedIn king. Um, <laughs> but like... <laughs> I'm quite active on LinkedIn, and um, I have a new LinkedIn newsletter, too, um, called Unmute Yourself. And so I just launched that in November. And actually, yeah, in November. So I, I do do that every other week so that people can connect with me on there. And then also on my website, which is unmutedlife.com. Unmutedlife.com. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we yeah. started a LinkedIn newsletter a while ago, too. They're great. And you'll, you'll start yes. to get a following right away. Um, the gratitude journals, what we call ours. So we should we should do some cross promotion. Be great. Yeah. Hey, um, you write a lot about resilience. In fact, you say there are five traits of resilient people. Can you help us understand those and how you put it into practice? Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the first one is acceptance. So I think acceptance is the antidote to resistance, and we cannot be resilient and be resistant at the same time. So accepting what is, is really recognizing that I may not like what's happening right now. So for instance, when I, you know, six weeks after COVID started, I had just launched my business in the fall of, 20, of 2019. It was a 100% in-person speaking business. That was my only source of income. And then poof, the pandemic just, just gone. And I had to completely reinvent myself after having 13 years of a stable corporate job in a matter of weeks. Um, and I just chose to accept it. I could have resisted, but my, uh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe this is happening. And, and there's a period of time, part of the grieving process is anger and frustration. And I was angry and frustrated at times as this is happening. And then I'm, and I was sad, right? That dip of depression is one of the, one of the parts of the grief process and our emotional response to change. But I have always been someone who has a very strong sense of agency. 
And I've always had a belief that I have the ability to shape my future. I've just, it's been an enduring, um, just element of who I am. And so choosing to accept what is and saying, okay, this is the situation, not ideal. What am I going to do about it? Um, six weeks after that, I'm out running with my husband and get hit by a pickup truck and fracture oh my back. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, that's not, that's not a good day right there. No, not a good day. Like not ideal, you know? And at the same time, three days later, I'm wearing a back brace. I was in a back brace for two months, delivering workshops on how to build hope and resilience in the midst of uncertainty. Like you can't make this stuff up. Right. So accepting what is, I'm like, well, this this sucks. I'd rather not have a fractured back right now. I'd rather not wake up at 4am with muscle spasms and be in so much pain. I would rather not. But the gift of that time was because everything was virtual, I couldn't have traveled for months. But because it was virtual, I could still do my work. And I was like, all right, I'm accepting what is. So the first is accept what is. The, the second thing that I think helps us build resilience, I like to use, I like to use phrases that are memorable. So the phrase I like to use is don't hesitate, initiate. Don't hesitate, initiate. When you need help, when you are struggling, do not wait until you crash and burn like I did. Do not wait until you bottom out to decide that you're worthy of asking for help and support. Don't hesitate, initiate. Reach out to somebody. If you're struggling at work, if you're struggling at home, I guarantee there is at least one person in the life of every single person listening right now, at least one person, that if they knew you were struggling, that they would have wanted to help you. And I believe that in the core of my being, that there's at least one person that would want to support you if they knew that you were struggling. So I encourage folks to reach out. You are not a burden. You are not a burden. You are worthy of support. You are worthy of connection. Your needs are as, as important as anybody else's needs. And um, there's no shame in asking for help. So I would say don't hesitate, initiate. There's... There's a third thing that I think is important for us to do, and that's to reconnect to our strengths. So when we burn out and feel overwhelmed and are struggling with kind of pulling ourselves up, I think we've often disconnected from what our deepest strengths and values are. And so for me, two of three of my top strengths and uh, character strengths are creativity, curiosity, love of learning. And a fourth is spirituality. So, I so I'm like, I have these in me. These are my natural life forces that I can draw on right now. And so to remind yourself, or what, what are your strengths? What are the strengths that you have drawn on in the past that you could draw on now to help yourself get through this thing? Because you, all, everyone listening to everyone has strengths. Right? Everyone has strengths. What are two, oh, I'm curious, what are, what are, what's something that comes to mind for you as a strength or value that you, either of you draws on when you're going through something difficult? I'm curious. You know, I, I, I just have amazing people around me. Yeah, that's a great strength for me. People I can go to. I've got a ridiculously supportive wife. Uh, Adrian has become not just my partner, but my best friend, my brother. So we talk about all kinds of stuff. So I think, you know, one of my strengths is just relationships. Adrian? Yeah, and, uh, and, and we're definitely very different. That's why Chester and I have had a great partnership <laughs> for 20 years. Uh, my, you know, I, I've, it's creativity for me. Uh, it's, it's family is, is very important. Uh, but you know, as you know, we, we actually developed a motivators assessment that, that we, uh, we took years of development. We've had hundred thousand people take this and Chester's number one motivator is friendship. You know, mm -hmm. that's what he's about. Mine, my two top two are creativity and family. Mm -hmm. And so we do know that about each other now where we didn't know that when we first 
began working with each other, and that really does help. And so you're right. I love the idea that you reconnect to your, to, to what will give you a boost when you're feeling down. And it also leads, leads me to ask, because I was really, you know, one of the things that you've talked about is giving ourselves permission to process, to be sad, uh, because we do want to rush through that, right? We want, we're all in this hyper-accelerated world. So why should we take some time like that and, and allow ourselves to, to process? I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is, I don't, I don't know how we truly heal from the difficult things we go through if we don't take time to reflect on them and reflect on what am I learning about myself right now? Um, what, what strengths can I appreciate about myself that are showing up right now? Um, when we, we can learn so much from reflection time, I think of, and there's something I often talk about in the work I do, um, a construct called post-traumatic growth, which means like we can grow through adversity and often post-traumatic growth shows up in, um, new possibilities and appreciation of life in connections with others in a sense of deepened compassion, connection to personal strengths, deeper sense of spirituality and meaning, and so I find that when I take the time to really pause and, and reflect on an experience that I can learn so much and I can gain so much insight. And sometimes it's painful to do that. Like I see a therapist every Saturday. My background is in, I have a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in health science and I'm a health coach and I've been in the well-being industry for 16 years and I see a therapist every Saturday. Um, and I find that to be tremendously helpful because sometimes I have to just sit with the weight of a feeling as somebody who, so the shirt I'm wearing today is, it says hope. Hope is one of the, one of my major drivers. I, I just, I, I generally look toward the future with a possibility mindset. And when I'm in a situation that feels hopeless, which happens, it might be with a family member who's going through a really difficult time that I just don't see any positive resolution. Uh, it might be a health issue I'm facing. Um, but when I feel hopeless, I have a tendency to not want to stay in that spot because I'm always looking for, where can I find the hope in this? And, and sometimes you just have to sit with the sadness and let yourself fully experience it and cry it out, not to stay stuck there, but I think we're so often focused on getting past the uncomfortable emotions of anger, frustration, disappointment, sadness, because we just want to feel good or we feel like we're supposed to, right? We're like, I should be over this by now, or everyone else seems to be doing better. Why am I not doing better? And we judge ourselves and we, we like spiritually bypass this stuff that you gotta go, like the only way is through, right? And, and so I think when we, when we take the time to reflect, we get this insight. And when we can take a moment to appreciate even the most difficult things we go through, that literally sends us on this upward spiral to expand and connect and create and innovate. And so that's why I think there's like so much gold to be mined in adversity and situations that we did not ask for. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll close my response to this question with, with, with this thought. When I was in the trauma room at the hospital, I was there by myself because it was COVID. My husband couldn't be with me. We don't run with our phones. So he didn't even know for three hours. He was running with me. He didn't know for three hours what my prognosis was. And I remember lying in that room with just like, you know, buttons beeping and lights flashing and stuff, thinking to myself, there is something here about rising up when we get knocked down that I am going to use. Like when I'm in the trauma room, like there is something here 
that this did not happen just to make me upset and sad and frustrated. This happened because I'm in a position with the work that I do and the platform that I have and the voice that I've been given to do something with this. And I am going to do something with this. Wow. That's such an amazing attitude and, and, and fulfills your work. You know, as I'm thinking about this, uh, Adrian, if you could get hit by a truck, that would really <laughs> make for a great content for us. <laughs> Adrian's just wouldn't recommend zero stars. <laughs> people like, every time I get hit by a truck, I'm like, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Adrian's laughing and nodding while he's on mute. Um, yeah. Hey, listen. Um, you know, we we do a lot of work with uh, organizations and companies like you do, and everybody's focused on mental health right now. You know, the celebrities are out and they're saying, "Hey, I'm struggling," and athletes are struggling. Do you think it's going to last, or is this a, a moment in time? And who who are you seeing that's doing it well that you think will actually? sustain it because i think that's the big fear of a lot of uh, workers is oh yeah everybody's really sensitive now then all of a sudden we'll be back full-time you know in person and we're just gonna skip past all this what do you think you know that's a great question because i think i i do unfortunately think that a lot of companies and a lot of company leaders are still sort of viewing this as a box to check of like we put our messaging out on world mental health day to say that we care about mental health right or we told everybody, here's the phone number for our EAP. We are such a conscious organization and we care deeply about the mental health of our people. The reality is, and I believe this, as somebody who has been in the well-being industry, who's been a thought leader in the well-being industry, 16 years, I believe that most wellness initiatives are an apology for what work has become. Ooh, that's very powerful. Uh, you know, and, and again, just, just kind of repeat that because it is, it's almost like um, getting rid of my guilt for having pushed mm -hmm. you all to the brink of, yeah. you know, of mental breakdown. Say that again. Yeah. 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 So I think most wellness programs are an apology for what work has become. Wow. So who's doing it well and who's going to sustain it? I mean, you work with a lot of people. Give your, give your top clients a little shout out. Yeah. So some of the things that come to mind for me are organizations. Um, there's there's a, a company that, that I'm working with that's in the financial services space, and they've been growing. They've got close to 1,000 employees. And um, one of the things that they brought me in to do this year was they said, look, we know our leaders don't are learning how to lead in the midst of a virtual environment. They've not done this before. Like, we were all in person. We really enjoyed the camaraderie that we had in person. And so they proactively reached out in the spring of this year and said, we want to take our 150 leaders through three cohorts and, 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 and connect them and give them tools and resources for how to lead more intentionally right now. And the something really neat that happened was as we were going through and inviting them to connect with each other and, and, and reflect on things like, you know, what's the way you've adapted in the past year that you're most proud of? Um, we had them share like mementos of something from home that gave them an opportunity to connect like kind of scavenger hunts. Um, we, we gave them the chance to reflect on, okay, from this experience today, what is your key takeaway or insight? What are you going to actually put in place after, as a result of our time together? What we found started to happen is that there were leaders who had just never met each other. They didn't even know they worked together and their leadership team in this organization didn't even know that each other existed. And as a result of being together and coming together, they're like, I'm, I'm learning things about my coworkers that I didn't even know were my coworkers, first of all. And they're getting equipped with tools. Like one of the tools I, I, I teach a lot is called 478 Breathing. I teach it as a way to activate and turn on the whole brain because when we're in a state of just constant, right, zoom, 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 
we don't get that chance to pause and we're often operating out of that kind of fight or flight mode. And so I, I give them tools and I've, you know, six months later, I was doing a, a, a series of trainings for all employees where we, we, they called it one team. Um, and so we brought, you know, groups, cohorts of a hundred employees together to, to connect with one another. And people were still talking about, they're like, this is the thing that four, seven, eight breathing. We do this with, we do this with my team. Like we still bring this out as a way to, to help ourselves kind of recalibrate our nervous system. And like, they can teach it as well as I could now. And I'm like, you must have really been paying attention if you could teach it. Um, so I, I think what I'm seeing happen in the companies that things are working well is they're intentionally making time, not just a one-off. They're consistently making time for their employees and their leaders to come together and connect around conversations that are universally relevant. So again, ways that you've adapted, um, what you're doing that you're to take care of yourself that's working better than anything else. What are you celebrating? What is something, what is a strength that you've shown up with in the past year that you want to celebrate? Have a small group conversation about it. Um, sharing stories of resilience. And a lot of the groups that I work with, I invite folks to come together and, hey, in a, in a paired interview conversation, share with a colleague a time you got through a difficult, challenging situation you weren't sure how you're going to get through. Share that with them. And then they get to reflect back what they appreciate from what they heard in your story. So I'm doing, a, I'm noticing that, again, what we said earlier the importance of connection over content. I think the leaders that realize, I think it's a blend, right? People need skills and tools that they may not otherwise have. And I think the thing that really sticks with people is the opportunity to connect in meaningful ways that organizations are continuing to invest in consistent, ongoing opportunities to bring on the new folks, to get to know the folks that were there with the culture that they had before, to strengthen relationships between people who haven't seen each other in person for two years. Like, so I think that organizations that aren't just paying this lip service and that are truly seeing connection, social connection, as the antidote to the depression and the burnout that we're experiencing right now, I think those organizations um, that are prioritizing that, there's other things too, but I, I think that first and foremost is genuinely making time for that connection and genuinely checking in on people and asking, how are you and how can I best support you right now? And then acting on it. And I think this is so important. What you're saying, Rachel, is that it is, this is, it's, it's hard work. It's mm -hmm. not something you can just outsource to the wellness group or the fun team, you know? No, this is actually has to be part now of who we are as organizations. Well, this has just been amazing. Our time has flown by. I noticed that uh, uh, we're about at the end of our time, but we want to ask really quickly, mm -hmm. always interested in, your, in, in the self-care tactics mm -hmm. of successful people. You have admittedly been through burnout yourself. You're working on a better path now, you're trying to do some yeah. things. So what do you do that, that helps you take care of yourself every day? And hopefully, by the way, you've found a better running path that doesn't have big, <laughs> big trucks. Yeah. Yeah. We're worried um, about you. That's funny. Yeah. Um, first and foremost, I'm in community every day with, with, with somebody. I mean, you know, there's a small group of women that I go to church with that we're in a text chain together. And if any one of us is in a moment of of crisis or joy or pain, like we let the group know and say, Hey, would you pray for me? Like, so you always know that somebody has your back. This is not something I did prior to five years ago. It just wasn't. So for me, being in community with life-giving people is I think the number one, my sleep. I do not mess with my sleep. I do not mess with it. I wear a device on my wrist. I've had this for three years called a whoop band, W H O O P. They make, you know, aura rings, another one, but I wear this device, a lot of like athletes wear it, which I am not a professional athlete, but professional athletes or Olympians wear it. Um, 
And it keeps track of all these metrics that really help me understand how I'm doing. So when I see that some of my metrics are off, whether it's my heart rate variability or respiratory rate or my resting heart rate, if I notice that they're off, I that tells me external external signal that says, we can't mess around with this. You got to go to bed early tonight. You're not, you're going to leave that thing you're going to by X time. You're going to reschedule that. It, you're not going to push yourself in your exercise. You're just going to go for a walk today. So this external tool has helped me when I'm like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. And this thing's like, no, you're not. Um, so it serves as that gauge that, you know, that I really need. Um, just a, a couple other things are nourishment. I really prioritize what I, what I put in my body. Um, I've gone through a series of a bunch of health issues other than what I've already talked about in my life. Um, and I learned that, you know, eating really life-giving, nourishing, whole real foods um, and cutting out certain things that were causing issues in my body, I had to be a scientist and experiment and discover that. Um, nourishment, non-negotiable. And then really reflection. My, my faith is an important part of my life and, um, you know, connecting to that community, um, reflection, uh, prayer, journaling. Um, and then lastly, I would say creative expression. So having... For me, it's singing. I have I have voice lessons with an instructor every Monday, um, and that for me. So whether it's for anyone listening, whether it's movement or art or poetry or sculpting or woodworking or baking or gardening, like all of us have the capacity to um, to uh, express ourselves creatively. And I think it's one so, of. And we're going to give you a chance right now. To express <laughs> yourself creatively. Sing sing us out, Rachel. Would yeah, you? here's the thing, Rachel. What, what's the one thing you want people to remember from this uh, podcast and sing it to us? There you go. Mm, okay. Well, here's in, in the key of G. Actually, by about. the way, in the key of G. <laughs> <laughs> this is a song. It's a snippet. I'm singing that. Sing the whole thing. I'll sing a snippet of a song that is um, a reminder that when we don't have the strength to rise up on our own, that we can lean on each other. So here we go. <laughs> mm. Some times in our lives, we all have pain, we all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me. When you're not strong and I'll be your friend, I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. You just call on me brother when you need a hand. We all need somebody to lean on. I just might have a problem that you'll understand. We all need somebody to lean on. We all need somebody to lean on. One of my favorite songs, by the way. I can't believe that uh, you pulled that one out. That is amazing. You know, her name is Rachel Druckenmiller. You follow her on LinkedIn. She's got websites. We'll put it all in the notes. She's uh, amazing. 40 under 40 game changer. 16 years of healthcare professional promoting hope in the workplace. Thank you so much for your time. You have been beyond amazing. 
And Adrian, you're going to have to sing next time because uh, that, <laughs> that's a, just a great way to end the podcast. Thanks, Rachel. Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> well, Chess, another great guest. Uh, lots of good takeaways. I love that. You know, Rachel gave us some very specific things we can do. Uh, you know, starting for me with with the Zoom. You know, you know, we're all spending way too much time on Zoom. A couple of good things there. You know, back off. You know, ask people, can this be a call? <laughs> uh, hiding yourself, view continuous partial attention. So I took, I took so much from that. One of the main things I took from that is that people need human connection now, even if they are being still in the virtual world yeah hide yourself or like you say what i do hide everybody else yeah just focus on yourself (laughs) (laughs) i do i I think phone calls have been just pushed to the side and they're underrated you can get so much done in a quick phone call i love that she said um you know that bottoming out was her greatest gift you hear that so often say no there it was at the just lowest of lows and yet that's what really Pulled my life together. I didn't know the thing about uh, when you dream that you're drowning, that that's a, I, have you? I have other dreams, but I won't get into them right now. You, yeah, it's probably not appropriate. Our dreams dreams all have something to do with playing in the NHL, you know. And when the the water's frozen, your odds of drowning go way down. Way, way Um, down. The other thing, though, that I loved is when she said, um, the mental health stuff that companies are doing now is an apology for what work has become. Boy, that hit me right between the eyes. Yeah, you know, and it is. Hey, we better put a wellness program into place because our people are burning out. Instead of, and what happens when you have those? We've been in there, and the wellness program begins. uh, You employees, you need to sleep more. You need to meditate. You need to do this, this, and this. Become better organized. Well, what about you guys, the leaders? You've (laughs) created this. So I think she's exactly right. So, and I come back, and one other note I took was, you know, her process of how you build resilience. Well, first off, you accept what's going on. It may not be happy. You may have to sit with it for a while. There may not be hope right now. But just accept, but then don't hesitate, but initiate. Ask for help. Somebody out there will help you. And look for that support. You are worthy of support. And the last point that she made in that is reconnect to your your strengths we would call them your motivators um and those things that give you you know uh, and skipping your step do those things again that'll lift you yeah lastly for me was reflection you know she said she surrounds herself with really good people her faith is important to her she does all those things that keeps her healthy uh and sometimes she has to just sit with the sadness i thought that was really an interesting way to put it not that you stay there forever you can sit with that reflect on it you know, in her journals that she would write and go back and reflect and say, what am I learning? Even in the emergency room, I'm here to learn something. I said, wow, what a, what a healthy take on getting hit by a truck. And, and the last take, I think, is for all of us, is that there's so much cynicism right now. As we get near to be two years into this pandemic, the people are saying, eh, this is all just lip service. And in fact, that's what Rachel is saying. Yes, in many cases it is. We have to keep this going. This has to be now the new way that we lead um, is making sure people are connecting, that we're celebrating together, that we are giving ideas to be resilient. And taking and you know offering up ideas to each other on how to be how to really take care of ourselves. So some just some wonderful feedback and ideas from Rachel Druckenmiller 
Uh, we want to thank all of you for listening in to Brent Klein, our producer, to Christy Lawrence, who helps us find such amazing guests. And uh, again, if you've downloaded uh, the podcast, we so appreciate your support. Yeah, share with friends. If somebody out there needs some help, we've got a whole bunch of podcasts now with great uh, business leaders, psychologists, uh, experts in the field. And by the way, it's all based on our book, you know, and what we want to put out there, Anxiety at Work, available at fine bookstores everywhere. And of course, you can download that. We always love to end by thanking our sponsors, you know, Life Guides, a, a peer-to-peer uh, place where you can, you know, find safety, a, a life guide that's going through the same stressors in life as you are. And they've got a wonderful holiday offer for your top executives, you know, um, a holiday special for leaders to ensure that your executives have the resources they need in and outside of the workplace. You can get this amazing offer and this amazing platform for an unlimited support for 50 uh, leaders or less. It's $3,000 for three months or more. All you've got to do is go to lifeguides.com forward slash schedule a demo. And then in the checkout code, put in holiday guides 50 for this holiday offer. Hope you'll take us up on it. We also want to thank our sponsor, Go Happy Hub, the most inclusive and timely way to communicate and engage directly with your frontline employees and candidates using text messages that have a 95% plus open rates. And if you tell them Adrian sent you, you get 60 days free. Can't beat that. Can't beat Go Happy Hub. Check them out. Go check out their website. It really can help your organization. Well, that's it for this week. We look forward to seeing you next week. And uh, Adrian, uh, is there a song that's just building up in you that you want to take us out with? (laughs) Uh, Strangers in the night. (laughs) Hey, we want to thank you for joining us today. Uh, Have a great week and uh, good mental health. Take care and be well. See you next week.